Shalom, friends. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Access. This is Timothy, and it's such a privilege to be able to study the scriptures with you today. Quick question. When was the last time you had your faith in God tested? I'm not talking about everyday character-building sort of tests that are meant to teach us lessons. I mean, when was the last time your faith was like life-changing, earth-shattering sort of tested? In the past 10 years alone, I remember being faced with some pretty difficult situations. Was my faith tested? Absolutely. Did it require me to do anything drastic? Well, not particularly. But these moments, they had stripped me down to the point that I knew for certain that I just had to trust God. And the way that I responded to those life-shaking moments revealed what was in my heart and showed me just how much trust I was actually placing in God. I'll share a few of these situations in a nutshell. Uh, There was a time that I was facing my own mortality at 34 years old as I had to have a triple coronary bypass. There was that other time where I was facing my wife's mortality and making decisions that could have been life-altering as she had to have a golf ball-sized tumor surgically removed from her brain. Or that other time where our runner son at five years old had escaped from the house and he ran a couple kilometers before getting hit by an SUV. My wife and I stumbled upon the scene of the accident and our son was nowhere in sight. He had already been rushed to Sick Kids Hospital. And then there's that other time that our nonverbal son at four years old wandered off after church and was nowhere to be found, only to discover that two strangers had found him in a park and kept him safe in their apartment and waited for the police to collect him. Man, each time before knowing what the outcome would be, I remember taking those moments and I'd pour my heart out in a very short breath prayer and cry out to God and yield to Him that no matter what may happen, I committed my life and my family to Him, and wherever He would lead us next, I was going to trust Him. Friends, every time I had those moments with God, He was growing my faith in Him, because no matter what was happening, I knew I could trust Him, because He is faithful, and He's loving and strong and good. God grew my faith by revealing Himself to me, And as I trusted him and yielded to him, I knew his peace. One of our family life verses is Isaiah 26 verse 3. It says, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast, because they trust in you. Our study today is called Testing Faith. If you need a handout for today's Access Learn study, please visit our Facebook group, Connections Ministries of Canada, and you'll find all of our studies under the Files tab. Also visit our website at ConnectionsMinistries.com. We're going to be continuing our study through Genesis today, and I would recommend having a Bible handy so that you could follow along. I'd also encourage you to take some time with your own Access Church communities or small groups and review this study together. Now let's get started. Testing Faith. Today my wife Beverly will be reading from Genesis chapters 22 and 23 from the Complete Jewish Bible. After these things, God tested Avraham. He said to him, Avraham, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Yitzchak, and go to the land of Moriah. There you are to offer him as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will point out to you. Avraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, together with Yitzchak, his son. He cut the wood for the burnt offering, departed, and went toward the place God had told him about. On the third day, Avraham raised his eyes and saw the place in the distance. Avraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. 
I and the boy will go there, worship, and return to you. Avraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on Yitzhak, his son. Then he took in his hand the fire and the knife, and they both went on together. Yitzhak spoke to Avraham, his father. My father, he answered, Here I am, my son. He said, I see the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Avraham replied, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And they both went on together. They came to the place God had told him about, and Avraham built the altar there, set the wood in order, bound Yitzhak his son, and laid him on the altar, on the wood. Then Avraham put out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of Adonai called to him out of heaven, Avraham, Avraham, he answered, Here I am, he said, Don't lay your hand on the boy, don't do anything to him, for now I know that you are a man who fears God, because you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Avraham raised his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the bushes by its horns. Avraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Avraham called the place Adonai Yireh, the Lord will see to it, the Lord provides. As it is said to this day, on the mountain Adonai is seen. The angel of Adonai called to Avraham a second time out of heaven. He said, I have sworn by myself, says Adonai, that because you have done this, because you haven't withheld your son, your only son, I will most certainly bless you, and I will most certainly increase your descendants to as many as there are stars in the sky or grains of sand on the seashore. Your descendants will possess the cities of their enemies, and by your descendants all the nations of the earth will be blessed, because you obeyed my order. So Avraham returned to his young men. They got up and went together to Beersheba, and Avraham settled in Beersheba. Afterwards, Avraham was told, Milka too has borne children to your brother, Nehor, Uts his firstborn, Buz his brother, Kemuel the father of Aram, Kesed, Hazel, Pildash, Yidlaf, and Betuel. Betuel fathered Rivka. These eight Milka bore to Nahor, Avraham's brother. His concubine, whose name is Reuma, bore children also, Tevach, Gacham, Tachash, and Maaka. Chapter 23 Sarah lived to be 127 years old. These were the years of Sarah's life. Sarah died in Kiryat Arba, also known as Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Avraham came to mourn Sarah and weep for her. Then he got up from his dead one and said to the sons of Het, I am a foreigner living as an alien with you. Let me have a burial site with you so that I can bury my dead wife. The sons of Het answered Avraham, Listen to us, my lord. You are a prince of God among us, so choose any of our tombs to bury your dead. Not one of us would refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Avraham got up, bowed before the people of the land, the sons of Het, and spoke with them. If it is your desire to help me bury my dead, then listen to me. Ask Ephron, the son of Tzohar, to give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns, the one at the end of his field. He should sell it to me in your presence at its full value, then I will have a burial site of my own. Ephron the Hittite is sitting among the sons of Het, and he gave Avraham his answer in the presence of the sons of Het, who belonged to the ruling council of the city. No, my lord, listen to me. I'm giving you the field with its cave. I'm giving it to you. In the presence of my people, I give it to you. Avraham bowed before the people of the land and spoke to Ephron in their hearing. Please be good enough to listen to me. I will pay the price of the field. Accept it from me, and I will bury my dead there. But Ephron answered Avraham, my lord, listen to me. A plot of land worth four hundred silver shekels. What is that between me and you? 
Just bury your dead. Avraham got the point of what Ephron had said, so he weighed out for Ephron the amount of money he had specified in the presence of the sons of Het, four hundred silver shekels of the weight accepted among merchants, ten pounds. Thus the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which is by Mamre, the field, its cave, and all the trees in and around it, were deeded to Avraham as his possession in the presence of the sons of Het, who belonged to the ruling council of the city. Then Avraham buried Sarah his wife in the cave of the field of Machpelah, by Mamre, also known as Hevron, in the land of Canaan. The field and its cave had been purchased by Avraham from the sons of Het as a burial site which would belong to him. So chapter 22 begins with these words, after these things. And this is a Hebrew expression that means eventually. So some time had passed, eventually God tests Avraham. Now this test, it wasn't a temptation, but it was an examination of Avraham's heart. God calls him Avraham and he answers, here I am. Or in Hebrew, that phrase is hineni. Now this phrase is actually used in a very specific sort of way. It's not like when my wife calls me Tim and I'm like, yeah, I'm over here in the kitchen. It's not about the physical location. Okay, so when God calls Avraham, he uses this very specific Hebrew phrase, hineni, which means here I am, I'm ready. I'm giving you my full attention. Now that God has Abraham's full attention, he gives him the instruction to take his only son to be offered as an ola, a burnt offering, on the mountain in the land of Moriah. Wait, hold on, his only son? I thought Abraham had Yishmael long before he had Yitzhak. The Hebrew word that's used here for only is yachid. Now remember, yachad means together. And Yahid means only, only one, solitary. So it carries this idea that it is kind of put together in such a way that this is his one and only beloved son. And he was to take this Yahid son and offer him as a burnt offering, as an Ola. But an Ola is so much more than just a burnt offering. It means what is brought up to be offered to a deity. And there was a process, a very specific sort of process that took place here. The Ola would be laid entire and whole on the altar. And then it would be killed and then cut up into pieces. Can you imagine what God was asking of him here? Now that must have been a really rough night for Abraham. I can't even imagine what he would have told his wife about what was going to happen. But we see that early in the morning, how quick he was to obey God. He gets up early in the morning, chops down some wood, um, to take with him for the for the sacrifice, and he sets out on his journey. And with him, he takes two na'ar. Now, na'ar is the word that's used to refer to servants or young men or, or helpers. And in this day, the minimum number of na'ar that a person would take with him on a journey was two. So Avraham's entourage of two signified that he was a very important person. And this would have been helpful as he traveled through the lands over the next three days before reaching the mountain in Moriah. As this company of four, Avraham, Yitzhak, and the two Na'ar, as they approach the mountain, um, Avraham looks up and he turns to his Na'ar and says, Listen, guys, stay with the donkey, okay? Uh, me and the boy, we're going to go up there, we're going to worship, and we will return to you. Now, what happens next is very significant. Avraham takes the wood that's meant for the Ola, and he lays it on Yitzhak. And Yitzhak would have to carry the very wood that would become his means of sacrificial death 
up the hill to the place of the altar. So up to this point of the story, if you haven't caught it yet, let's just look at it a little closer. God instructs Father Avraham to take his one and only beloved son, his Yahid son, to be offered as an ola, a sacrifice, that the father would need to sacrifice his own son. And this son had to carry the very wood that becomes his means of sacrificial death up the hill where he would be bound and killed. Yes, friends, the story alludes to Father God who gave his one and only son and what would happen with Messiah Yeshua on the cross hundreds of years later. So now here we have just father and son together, Yachad. And Yitzhak calls to Avraham. He says, Avi. Now, Avi, it's not a short form for Avraham. <laughs> um, Avi in Hebrew means my father. And Avraham responds, Hineni bini. He says, here I am, my son. Avraham must have been really preoccupied, maybe silencing whatever was going on in his mind. Maybe he was so focused or distracted from what was around him that, that Yitzhak had to call his father's attention. And, and we see Avraham turn and give him his full attention. Hineni bini. This devoted first Hebrew father and teacher of humanity displays that his son was a first priority and deserved preference over all other matters. I realize that much of the time, whenever this story, this um, Achedah Yitzchak, or the binding of Yitzchak, whenever this story is told, there's a common understanding that Yitzchak was like a young child. But that's actually not the, not the case. Yitzchak would have been about 37 years old at this time. He wasn't stupid. He knew what was going on. He was strong enough to carry the wood up the hill. And he must have been trying to understand what this whole journey was about. He had lugged the wood from Beersheba where the, where the trees were sparse. And, and here three days later, they're coming to this land of Moria where the trees were, were plentiful and shrubbery everywhere. Yet they didn't have a lamb to sacrifice. That was kind of weird. So Yitzchak finally asks his dad, So um, where's the lamb? <laughs> and Avram replies, God will provide himself the lamb for the burnt offering, Beni, my son. Did Avraham just lie to his son? I mean, God instructed him to take Yitzhak as the sacrifice. Did Avraham lie to the two Na'ar that were waiting with the donkey when he said, Oh, we're going to go up the hill, worship, and we'll come back to you. Now, if you have your Bible handy, I'd invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 to 19. That's Hebrews 11, verses 17 to 19. And we might be able to get a little bit more insight as to what was going on in Avraham's mind at this time. It reads, By trusting, Avraham, when he was put to the test, offered up Yitzchak as a sacrifice. Yes, he offered up his only son, he who had received the promises, to whom it had been said, What is called your seed will be in Yitzchak. For he had concluded that God could even raise people from the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did so receive him. Avram's preparations to kill his only son could not have placed his trust in God in any sharper focus than we see here. And it's because of his trust and obedience in God that Avraham came to be known as the father of faith. There's so much symbolism that's planted into the Akadah Yitzhak the binding of Yitzhak's story. 
And if you have the handout of this Access Learn study, I want you to look at the sidebar where it says the unity of Yehovah. And I'm quoting directly from Tom Bradford of the Seed of Abraham Ministries. He says, notice the symbolism of the father and son going together to the sacrificial altar. The father couldn't perform the sacrifice without the son, and the son couldn't be sacrificed without the impetus of the father. We cannot easily separate God into three identifiable pieces or persons, taking him apart and putting him back together at our wills. Many messianic prophecies of the Old Testament plainly say that Yehovah will be pierced and Yehovah will return on the Mount of Olives. So is it Yehovah or Yeshua that will touch down on the Mount of Olives? With the Trinity doctrine, or this God in three pieces doctrine, Yehovah is one person and Yeshua is another. But the unity of the Godhead is so complete that we cannot separate it into three pieces. But we can, of course, speak of his many attributes, one of those being salvation. And the salvation attribute was to take place within the context of the larger attribute of God that we call the Son. End quote. So let's take a moment to talk about these attributes of God. The Father attribute and the Son attribute act together in fullest unity at all times, right? So Yehovah, or Yehuah, hung on the cross just as surely as Yeshua did. And here we see in Avraham and Yitzchak, father and son, these two attributes arriving together at the altar of sacrifice, each with their necessary roles. The son attribute, Yitzchak, was to be the sacrifice, and the father attribute, Avraham, was to initiate and accept the sacrifice. When Yeshua died, it was the human aspect of him that died, and the divine lived on. It's interesting that throughout the New Testament, you'll see this recurring theme about dying to yourself or dying to the flesh and all of its desires, dying to that human flesh. And then once we do that, we can be born in the Spirit, and the Divine Spirit lives on. Now, we'd like for all of us to stop here for a moment and consider what God was actually asking Abraham to do here. Remember, Avraham was already an old man, and it was through Yitzhak that God had promised that all his descendants would come. The promise was going to be fulfilled through this seed, this seed that God was asking him to put to death. He was asking Avraham to end his family line right there. How would the promises be fulfilled? For whatever reason, Avraham trusted God. Remember, it was God who promised, and it was God who was asking. And I'm sure that after Abraham had witnessed God's faithfulness to his promises, that it gave Abraham the courage to be able to place his full trust in God and what he was going to do next. Let's take a closer look at verses 9 and 10. They get to the place, Abraham builds the altar, Abraham sets the wood in place, and then Abraham bound Yitzhak and laid him on the altar on the wood. Now this shows us that Yitzhak was cooperating with Avraham, that the father and son were working in unity as they were obeying God. He would have allowed his father to bind him in case he were to flinch or flail as Avraham was to kill him and fall off the altar. Remember that there was a very specific process in bringing an Ola to God, laying the sacrifice in its entirety and killing it on the altar and then cutting it to pieces. 
As much as we focus on Avraham's obedience to God, we must acknowledge the son's willingness to be the sacrifice as well. Verse 10, Then Avraham put out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. And in that final moment, God stops Avraham. Verse 11 says, The angel of Adonai calls from heaven, Avraham, Avraham, to which he responds, Hineni, here I am. God stopped him from killing his Yahid son. Avraham had passed the test. He demonstrated faith to which God responds with justification. And it's in these few verses where we get the idea of substitutionary atonement. And this is where it's introduced. And we'll find its fulfillment in the death of Messiah Yeshua as the atoning substitute sacrifice for us. In this situation, the substitution for Yitzchak was a ram that was caught in the bushes by its horns, and God had provided that for them. Avraham takes the ram and completes the Ola and offers it up as a sacrifice to God in place of his son. And Avraham calls this place Yehovah Yireh, or Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will see to it, the Lord will provide. God reaffirms his covenant with Abraham yet again, and he mentions the three elements of land, seed, and blessing, but with special attention directed to the conquest of the land promised. God makes this big pronouncement, ending with, And by your descendants all the nations of the earth will be blessed, because you obeyed my order. Isn't that beautiful? Just as in the disobedience of one man, Adam, a curse came upon mankind. And because of the obedience of one man, Abraham, all the nations will be blessed. And later on, we'll see that because of the obedience of Yeshua Messiah, there is a hope for all mankind. Friends, as we look at this Akedah Yitzhak, I'd like to suggest a faith that has not been tested cannot be trusted. I'll say it again. A faith that has not been tested cannot be trusted. So I'll ask you again. When was the last time your faith in God was tested? Like life-changing and earth-shattering sort of tested. You know, every time I start to recognize that I am trusting God more, for some reason, He allows that trust to be tested. And this is a good thing. I don't mind that sort of testing at all. Because I trust Him, and because I yield to Him and to His perfect plan, and whatever He has in store, I'm still going to trust Him. And it's my hope and prayer that you could trust him too. At the end of chapter 22, just as promised, Avraham returns to the two Na'ar, the young men with the donkey, and they went together, Yachad, back to Beersheba. And when he gets back there, Avraham is updated about his brother Nahor's family. Avraham and Sarah had not lost ties with their original home. His brother Nahor still lived in Mesopotamia, though they hadn't seen him for about 60 years now. And of course, this genealogy comes about just at the right time because we're transitioning away now from the story of Avraham and Sarah, and we're going to be moving on to see what happens next with Yitzchak. Genesis chapter 23 begins with a simple statement that informs us that Sarah was 127 years old when she died. What the passage doesn't tell us is how she died. According to Hebrew tradition, she was sitting around and waiting for Avraham to return, and she apparently had heard news about what had happened at Mount Moriah. Now, 
there was some conflicting messages that she was receiving and she had no idea what to expect. All she could do was sit and grieve as the days went by and she waited for her husband to return with or without Yitzhak. Hebrew tradition also states that Abraham was 138 years old when his beloved Sarah died. Can you imagine what this whole experience must have been like for Abraham? First God calls him to sacrifice his one and only son, and then he spares his son, and that's a good, joyful time together. And then they return home, and Sarah dies. It's like there's a non-stop test after test after test for Abraham. And even when we're tested... There's always time to grieve and mourn. Interesting note, Sarah is the only woman whose age at death is recorded anywhere in the Bible. Now this reminds us of the birth of her only son well beyond the years of childbearing, and it reminds us of God's intervention to bring about the fulfillment of his word to her and Abraham. And Sarah's death also provides details for the very first death and burial of a Hebrew. Avraham and Sarah were both living in Hebron at the time, which is part of Canaan. So this was part of the land that God had promised them and their descendants. Although they were living in this land, it wasn't their land legally. They had no land to their name. For all the years since they had left Mesopotamia, they had been foreigners in all the lands they had been to. After Avraham mourned Sarah... He just wanted a place to bury her. He wanted a burial site where he could just lay his wife. One that didn't belong to somebody else. When he first inquired of the men in the land if there was a place that he could bury his wife, they showed him great respect. They knew who he was. And and they honored him and said, My lord, you can bury your wife in any of the tombs in our land. They were more than accommodating. So Avraham tells them, All right, fellas, listen, if you really want to help me, please ask Ephron to give me the cave of Machpelah. It belongs to him, but I want to purchase at full price, and I want you all to bear witness when I make that exchange with him. Then I know that I'll have a place where I could bury my wife. Now, Ephron was sitting there when Abraham had made his request, and he comes up right away and says, No, no, my lord. No, I'm going to give you this land. Why don't you just take it, okay? And you could bury your wife there, not a problem. And the negotiations start. But if Abraham accepted Ephron's offer as a gift, it would have been insulting to the Hittites because land was being given to a foreigner. That just wasn't done. It was insulting. So Abraham insisted that he pay the full price for the cave of Machpelah as a tomb. And when he did this, it kind of forced Ephron to set some sort of a price. So he sets it at 400 shekels of silver. Now, that amount was actually quite high for a cave. So Avraham, right away, he he weighs the amount of the shekels in the presence of many witnesses. And by doing this, he avoids any legal challenges that could have led to having his land taken away from him. So the land was successfully and publicly transferred from Ephron to Avraham. And after all this was done, Avraham buries his wife, Sarah. Eventually, Avraham, Yitzchak, his wife, Rivka, their child, Yaakov, and his wife, Leah, They were all buried there in the same cave, in the same tomb, this cave of Machpelah. Now there we have the three great patriarchs of the Bible, Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they're all buried in Hebron, which is now a territory given over to Israel's enemy, the Palestinians. It's located in the West Bank, about 30 miles south of Jerusalem. 
Now, I strongly suspect that David's choice of Hebron as his first capital city when he became king of Judah had much to do with the awesome reverence that's associated with the burial place of the founders of the nation of Israel. Now, that brings us to the end of today's Access Learn study. But before I let you go, there are just a few things that I, I'd like to leave with you to consider. One lesson that I learned from Abraham is how he responds when God calls him. Hineni, here I am. I'm showing up ready and giving my full undivided attention. I absolutely love this. And he even uses Hineni as he gives honor to his son by giving him focused attention as well. And it reminds me that Father God also pays attention to his children. Another point that I really appreciated in the study was Yehovah Yireh, or Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. He always does. It's who he is. Question is, can you trust him to provide for your every need? And if there's anything else that you're going to walk away with from this Access Learn study, make sure to remember any time that you sense God is testing you, a faith that has not been tested cannot be trusted. Once again, a faith that has not been tested cannot be trusted. Friends, I'm sure that deep down, all of us want to be able to trust a little bit more. Who you trust and what you trust, I don't know. But it is my prayer that you will come to trust and know the God that started a good work in you. Know that he's faithful to complete that good work that he started in each and every one of you. And if you're studying with me today, friends, my prayer for you is that you would learn to trust him more, learn to walk in the faith that he's given you, learn to accept the love that he's pouring out over you. And I pray that you would have a desire to trust and obey and love our God more and more each and every day. Friends, thank you so much for joining us for today's Access Learn study. It's always a joy to be able to get around God's word and learn more about his plan and purposes and about his amazing love and promises. I'm so excited to see where he'll lead us next. May the grace of our Lord Yeshua and the Shalom of God our Father be with all. Amen. In my worry, God, you are my stillness. In my searching, God, you are my answers. In my blindness, God, you are my vision In my bondage God, you are my freedom In my weakness God, you are my power You're the reason that I sing Cause you're the God of all my days Each step I take God, you are my freedom 
all my days.